can really get at. See, I think what Mark wants us to think about, the, the dirt and the grime and the, 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 the grossness is the sort that, that reaches down into our souls and actually stays there much longer than we realize. It's the sort of grossness we feel within that we don't like telling other people about. In fact, we're we're embarrassed or ashamed about it, and and so we don't like telling others. We probably even will lie to ourselves because it's easier to not think about it and deal with the discomfort it is to feel when we think about what's broken within us. In in Thomas Aquinas' words, he says, the act of sin may pass yet the guilt remains, right? The momentary actions in our lives may be behind us, and we might even be able to forget them, but the, the fallout from them, the guilt, the, the pain, the, 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 the dirt and the grit and the grime remains deeply embedded and remains behind. See, I think we, we sometimes think of sin as something momentary, some momentary action we've taken rather than necessarily understand it as being this overall way of being, an, an impression on our souls. And, and this, is, this is so far from the truth about what sin truly is, right? Maybe, maybe this illustration will help. And, and, and in fact, forgive me because it's kind of a, 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 a yucky transla- or a illustration, but if any of you have had to deal with a child who's vomiting, then you probably know what I'm talking about, right? They do their best to get it in the toilet, but how many times have they missed and it goes on the wall or the carpet or, or the, their clothing or their bedspread or their siblings or whatever it is. And try as you may to scoop it up, to wipe it up, to scrub it out, to get rid of it. Oftentimes there may be a stain that remains. And even if you can get the stain removed, there is usually a lingering smell that remains that you cannot get rid of. There have been many blankets and carpets that I've had to throw away because no matter how hard I tried, I could not get rid of that smell. See, sin has that sort of effect on our soul. No matter how many good deeds we try to commit or how many ways that we want others to see what kind of a good Christian or Jesus follower we are or how righteous we are, that lingering smell of vomit sticks in our soul and is so hard to get rid of. And here's the thing. It's not even just about the smell that remains from our own actions. There is a smell in this world that we may not be responsible for causing, but it's because sin has a way of, of, of reigning and ruling in this world. It has is, it is influenced and shaped the cultures of this world, the people of this world, the, the, the relationships, the, the, the neighborhoods, the families, the, the communities, the structures, the governances of, our, of, of the countries of our world are all shaped by this thing called sin, and it leaves this horrific stench behind. It doesn't take much to see that this world is not the way it was created to be. I mean, if you have any uh, question about this, think about how God paints a picture of, uh, of this future paradise he promises for his family, right? 
when God reveals what paradise with him will be, he describes it as a place where there will be no more sickness, no more sadness, no more tears, no more death or mourning, right? This is, this is a picture where, where not even the stench of sin is even a memory. That tells me that when, when God finally and completely wipes away sin, he'll, he'll wait, wipe away illnesses, even like, like leprosy, like this man has in our passage, like, like brain cancer or, or other evils and pains that, that we've never asked for or wished for. The reality is that, that, that there is an impurity in the world, that there is a cleansing that has to happen in the world, that, that no amount of good effort on our part can actually rid this world of. We may be able to scoop it up, sweep it under a rug, hide it in a closet, but the stench remains. And here's the thing, whether the pain that we deal with in this world is the result of our own sin or the sins of others or sin as mankind, we really won't find the kind of healing and the wholeness that we long for until we acknowledge something until we acknowledge that the problem isn't out there in the world, the problem's in here in my own heart. It's rooted right here. In other words, I'm not gonna blame my dentist if my car breaks down, right? That's foolishness. I'm not gonna blame my ears if my foot gets hurt. It doesn't make sense. Church, what I'm telling us is as a, as a creation, as mankind, it's foolishness for us to sit here and blame other people and other things and even Adam and Eve for the sin that's rooted in my own heart. The healing and the wholeness that we long for can only be dealt with when we start acknowledging maybe I'm not as good as I think I am and that I need help I personally need help cleansing my own soul. Church, if we do long for this better life, this better world, then let's start there. Let's start by acknowledging our own brokenness. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way to like tear you down or, or, or to make you feel like a failure. I, I tell you that with, with, with a sense of hope and excitement. Because only then can we truly trust and depend on and look to Jesus to cleanse what needs to be cleansed. Now, whether or not the leper in our passage had this sort of cleansing, this soul cleansing in mind when he approached Jesus ultimately doesn't matter. Because what I want you to know is regardless of what the leper had in mind when he came to Jesus, Jesus has this sort of desire, this purpose, this mission to cleanse your soul and my soul and this leper's soul more than he even realized. See, from, from time to time, as we read through the gospel of Mark, Mark will zero in on certain stories through the life of Jesus. If you had read the verses leading up to our passage this morning, you'd hear about Jesus generally preaching throughout Galilee and healing, casting out demons and doing different miracles like that, right? And then all of a sudden, he slows down. 
he, he slows down and he, he, he zeroes in on this story, this narrative of this man with leprosy as he approaches Jesus. And he does it for a purpose. Mark wants us to see something. He wants us to notice something. He wants us to notice that God has a plan to rescue and redeem this world. And it's not just to fix people who are sick or, or, or to, to give people money who are poor or to change their life circumstances. God has a purpose to heal up what's been broken, a brokenness that is not skin deep, a brokenness that even if we've fooled ourselves into thinking that that's in the past and it no longer remains, holds a, a, a stench that we cannot get rid of apart from Jesus. And so Mark invites us to slow down and to take a look at the story of this man with leprosy and, and to consider more closely what God's plan is to rescue and redeem and heal and cleanse the hearts and minds of the creation he loves. See, in the, in, in the context of our Bibles, leprosy was understood differently than how we might see it today, right? In, in Jesus' day, it was, it was this general category of skin disease. It, it wasn't uh, was it Hansen's disease, I think is what we know it today. Hansen's disease, which kind of leads to this like uh, nervous system breakdown where we can't feel and, and, and touch and, we, and, and further diseases. That's kind of how we understand leprosy today. But in Jesus' day, it was this general uh, category for, for ailments of the skin. But more to the point than the illness itself was the way that people understood someone with leprosy in those days. They, they understood them to be someone who visibly was impure. They, they were someone who, who was far from, they were to be separated from God because you could look upon them and say, that person is not whole, that person is not the way God intended them to be. See, God had a plan for his people. God had a plan to take his people out of slavery and to make them a people for himself, a people who were holy as he is holy. Now, if you look throughout the book of Leviticus, you can read all about these laws, these ways that God had a plan to, to teach and to train up his people to be holy as he is holy. It was a life of holiness that he was passing on to them through these ritual laws. But holiness is different from the morality one achieves from obeying the law, right? If I obey the law, I'm a moral person. But God desires more than just that we would be moral people who do good and kind things to one another and to him. God desires our holiness. Holiness is something deeper. Charles Spurgeon once said, holiness is better than morality, right? He says it goes beyond morality. Holiness affects the heart, the, the, the whole nature of man. And that's what God desires. He wants to affect the whole nature of you and I. He doesn't just want to make you feel better about something. He doesn't want to just change your circumstances or, or make you feel like you're, you're a good person. God wants to reach into the recesses of your heart and do what you've been frustrated to not change for your whole lifetime. 
Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll meet with a mentor and, and, and just kind of talk about things going on in my world. And you know what? I, I tell them, I'm so ashamed. I feel like a broken record. This is what we talked about last time, right? We talked about it last time and the time before that because I'm a limited person. I'm a human being. Like, I, I struggle with these things. That's, that's an example. It's, I say that to help us understand that there are things in your world and in my world that apart from God, we cannot change. We cannot, we cannot fix. We cannot make whole. We cannot make go away. Holiness is that place where God reaches into the recesses of your life and makes you whole and complete and perfect. But the holiness laws of the Old Testament, and specifically the laws around ritual and moral purity, were really always meant to point us to the deeper truth and the reality that we see in Jesus. Specifically, that we are to be holy as God is holy, and then guess what? Only God, only God can make us holy. So for this man with leprosy, his physical skin ailments classified him as unclean, as, as impure. And until he followed the, the specific uh, rites and rituals of the law, which we could read about in, if you want to in Leviticus 13 and 14, I'm not going to take the time to do that now. If he followed these rituals and laws of Leviticus, he could become clean again, or he could be, desig- he could be clarified and, and affirmed as being clean once his skin ailment cleared up. But apart from that, this man would lead an isolated life. See, the law said that if, if you have this skin ailment, whatever it is, that, then you had to live outside of the community. You had to leave the camp of the people of God. You had to be isolated from the community. And if you're isolated from the community, you had to keep your impurities to yourself, which meant that if someone else from the community came anywhere near you, you had to declare to them, unclean, unclean, you know, don't come near me because you may catch my impurities. I mean, it seems silly, right? It seems crazy. But the, the, the law was a strict guideline where it was meant to, to keep, to, to separate the pure from the impure. It, it not only taught that a person had to yell out unclean and to separate them, but, but if by chance their skin ailment cleared up, they had to go through a very public eight-day display of, of, of the fact that they have been healed, that their, that their skin is cleared up. They had to go and, and, and invite the priest to come and meet with them outside the camp, and if the priest could confirm that, yes, they were in fact healed, then they would have to make a sacrifice to the priest where, where the, the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on them with a hyssop branch, declaring them, yes, this is in fact a, a clean person. But then after that, they had to shave all the hair on their head, even in their beard, and take a bath. And then guess what? They could come back into the camp of the Israelites, but they had to spend the next seven days living outside of their tent in the camp. I mean... The life of someone with leprosy, I mean, maybe it seems like if you had leprosy, it was hard enough. If you've ever been sick with anything, I mean, just being sick is, is horrible. But then to put on top of that, 
This being isolated and separated from the people of God, not just the people of God, more importantly, from the presence of God. Because guess what? As the people of God traveled through the wilderness, the camp was not just a camp. The camp was centered around the tabernacle. The camp and the people of God were centered around the presence of God. And so to be told, you got to leave this camp, was to be a person who lived under the guilt and shame of living outside the presence of God. You know, it was such a serious thing that, that rabbis equated healing someone of leprosy on par with raising someone from the dead. Just not something they could do, right? And so the only part that a, a priest could do, uh, could play in this whole uh, religious ritual was to confirm that this person was in fact clean, that their leprosy had cleared up. They didn't heal them themselves, or they, they didn't actually heal them. They didn't, weren't praying on their behalf and, and, and doing this ritual so that the person would be healed. They were doing this ritual to affirm that this person had been healed. God alone is able to accomplish this task. And so in this narrative of this man with leprosy, I want us to notice that Jesus does so much more than just heal this man's skin disease. Yeah, I mean, this man certainly wants to be cleansed. He wants to be back in the community of God's people and in the presence of God. But, but more than just addressing these ritual needs, Jesus restores his soul into the presence of God. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 40 with me again. The man says to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. If you want this, Jesus, if you desire to make it happen, you can make me clean, Jesus. Right? If you wanted Jesus. Now, obviously, this man, who, by the way, was living outside the, peop- outside the camp of Israelites, kind of more in, in a place of isolation, has heard of Jesus' ministry. He's heard of who Jesus is. He's heard of what Jesus has done, right? He's heard of his reputation as one with power to heal. But, but notice something. The man doesn't say, if you will, you can heal me. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. I mean, the man wants more than just to have clear skin. He, he wants to be restored to his religious community. But Jesus wants more than just to restore him to his religious community. He wants more than just make this man ritually pure. He wants to do a deeper work. Jesus wants to do more than just affect the surface of this man's skin. He wants to cleanse his heart. He wants to make him holy as as Charles Spurgeon referred to it, right? He wants to affect the whole nature of this man and not just his his physical body or his religious ways. Consider what Jesus' response to the man's request is is in verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Now, now please don't miss this. Don't, don't like 
move past this too quickly because you're, you're excited for what happens next or anything like that. Jesus wants to make you and I clean. Jesus' desire, this word thelos that they use in this passage, it's a will. It's not just, it's not just like, yeah, I want that to happen. It's a, it's a deeper desire. It's a passion. It's Jesus' purpose to make you and I clean, to make this man pure. Now, depending on what translation you're reading here in verse 41, uh, it may read a little bit differently. Does anyone, you don't have to raise your hand, but if anyone has the NIV that they're, yeah, okay, some do, uh, that, that you're reading from the NIV, this may say that, that Jesus was indignant. There, there's this, there, there, there seems to allude to this anger that Jesus may have with us. ESV says that Jesus was moved with pity. The New American Standard says Jesus was moved with compassion. NIV says Jesus was indignant. Now, this is one of those places in our Bibles where, where, where some people, as you drill down into the, 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 the Greek text and whatnot, you can kind of uh, nerd out a little bit. It's, kind of, it's, it's interesting to see how the language develops. But uh, in some of the, the earliest Greek manuscripts, they use a, a Greek word that, that, that characterizes Jesus' emotions around this as being one of anger and indignancy and, and whatnot. Whereas uh, later scribes may have changed that word because it's more in line with Jesus' character and what Jesus does in the passion, or in the passage to being moved with compassion, right? I mean, you look at Jesus' actions in this passage, and yeah, he responds with compassion. But I think it's okay for us to kind of say, hey, Jesus was compassionate and Jesus was angry. Jesus was moved with pity and Jesus was indignant. I have no problem with translating this passage as saying that Jesus was indignant. The question we have to ask ourselves as we study this verse is who or what is the object of Jesus' anger? Now, see, I, I think we might, if we read this on the surface, think, oh, Jesus is angry because this man's running up to him, this man with leprosy, and, and, and he could get Jesus impure, so Jesus gets angry. No. Jesus' anger is not with this man. If he was, he would have recoiled. He would have withdrawn his hand. He would have told him, get away from me, right? But what does Jesus do? He reaches out and touches the man. He touches his skin, he touches the man and says, I will be clean. To touch the man was an act of compassion. Now, we, if you've studied other, uh, other parts of the Gospels and you've seen other healings that Jesus has done, Jesus can heal someone without touching them. He didn't have to touch this man. He willingly touch, reached out and touched this man who other people were terrified to even be near. So I think we can absolutely say Jesus had compassion for sure. I think the, the emotional turmoil going on in Jesus was certainly one of compassion toward the man, while at the same time being furious toward the effect of sin on, his, on God's creation. Get this, I don't think God, uh, Jesus is angry at this man. I think Jesus is angry at sin and sin's impact on this world and on what God has created. Uh, later on in another gospel, Gospel of John, Jesus has a similar reaction 
where, where he, he's deeply moved. It's the same language. It is not just like, oh, Jesus has sad feelings for someone. He's deeply moved. Listen to what we read in John eleven thirty three, which is where Jesus arrives at Mary and Martha's house after Lazarus, his friend, has passed away. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who, who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The language around uh, Jesus being deeply moved is not just like he, was, he, he felt like seriousness about it. He was frustrated. He was angry. He was angry at the brokenness that he saw in these people, their pain and their sadness that was there because of the sin that had caused death. So I think we need to understand, church, when you feel and come face to face with the effect of sin in your, world, in your space, in your world, whether it's something that you have yourself, an action you have taken where your, your own soul feels the, the grit and the grime of that sin within, or, or even the effect of sin uh, that, that you have to deal with in this world, I want you to see something. Jesus looks upon that sin with anger and frustration and yet compassion toward you. See, I, let me share a little story. I, I think I mentioned this before, but both of my boys play football, and, and it's, it's a lot of fun to watch them play. But, but Tara actually has a hard time watching them play football. I think that the doctors uh, call her struggle something like uh, mama bear syndrome. Right, uh, Mama Bear Syndrome is this like explosive anger that wells up from within whenever someone does something bad to any of her children, right? So it, when Max gets hit on the field or something like that, I have a tendency to have to, to hold Tara back or, or distract her with conversation because she wants to run out on that field and, and defend her son and get back at this other player who just tackled him or whatever, right? I mean, this, this is... I mean, kidding aside, this is Jesus' posture towards sin in this world and its damaging effects on his creation. He has this righteous anger toward the destruction that sin has caused. He, ha he has this righteous anger toward the brokenness that's in this world. Right? He, he, and, and, and the thing is, he, he doesn't look at that brokenness, get disgusted, and, and, and pull back. He has compassion on the people. He has compassion on his children. He has compassion toward us. Though Tara may not be able to go out in that field and do anything about this, right? Though, though she either is withheld by, by me or the refs or the other, uh, other coaches on the team from going out on that field and unleashing her mama bear anger, Jesus is not withheld. In fact, he's sent forth to do something about it. He says, I will. It's my purpose to come forth and to cleanse, to make whole, to fix what is broken. That's why he came. He didn't come to teach us how to be kind to our neighbors. He, he didn't come to, to show us a moral life. He came to do, to fix what we cannot fix. He came to get angry at sin and to unleash that anger through dying on the cross for us. 
that we might be cleansed in the depth of our soul in a way that we could never touch to get rid of the, the, the smell of the vomit in our own lives, in our own world. That's what Jesus came to do. So church, when we look at this story of the leper, I think it's okay for us to read this passage with the NIV that says Jesus was indignant because Jesus is indignant. Not at you though at the sin that lies within and the sin that has invaded this world. But, but here's the thing. That's not all of the good news of, of our passage this morning because our passage tells us more about the heart and the will of our king than just that he's angered by this world's brokenness and, 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 and has compassion toward his creation. See, Mark shows us that Jesus was sent with a plan to do something about our compassion, our brokenness. Take, take a look at verse 41 and for, then 42 with me. After Jesus, uh, after the man says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean, Jesus says, I will be clean. And then Mark tells us that immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed, right? There's something going on here that I want us to pay attention to. Because the instantaneous and miraculous cleansing of the man's skin disorder, right? This is not Jesus saying, oh yeah, you're clean. You can, you can go and, and heal yourself. The instantaneous and miraculous cleansing of this man's skin disorder, disorder points to a greater truth, which is that Jesus alone can truly cleanse our hearts and purify our souls, right? There is, a, a, there is something that Jesus does here in this passage that no priest or, or rabbi has been able to do, right? All they can do is affirm what's been done, right? That's why in our passage, Jesus says, all right, now I don't want you to tell anyone. I want you to go and show yourself to the priest that they can confirm that you are, that you are healed and that you can follow the religious laws where you can be welcomed into your community of faith and into the presence of God. Right? That's all the, the priests and the rabbis can do. They can just confirm. Jesus is the one that healed this man. Jesus wasn't confirming that the man was cleansed. He actually heals and, and cleanses this man. And in doing so, he points to a promise of God from the Old Testament. It's a promise that King David alludes to in his famous, infamous prayer of confession and repentance in Psalm 51. If you remember King David's story, he has an extramarital affair with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba gets pregnant, and he gets scared, and so he, he kind of gives these orders to his army, and, and, and Bathsheba's husband gets killed in, in battle because of David's plans. And so all this unfolding of sin happens, and when the prophet Nathan confronts David, he realizes, oh, I'm guilty. I'm guilty within. And I and I alone have sinned against God and, and sinned against God alone. But, but in his prayer, David prays things like this. He says, God, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He, he, he prays, God, you delight in truth in my inward being. Right? He doesn't say, God, you delight with truth in my skin-deep life, what other people see me doing on Sunday morning or throughout the week. Right? 
He doesn't pray that. He prays, God, you delight in truth in my inward being. But then look what he prays in Psalm 51.7. David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Right? David's not saying, all right, God, I'm going to go back to the, the rituals that you've outlined in Leviticus 13 and 14 or whatever it is and obey the law and then I'll be forgiven again. David recognizes the only way to address the grit and the grime and the stench within his own soul is by faith that his repentance and confession and dependence on God is enough. That he can depend on God to purge him, to cleanse his soul, to, to remove that, that stench, to remove the, the, the grit and the grime and make him whole. Now, he mentions this hyssop branch, and that's where I think the promise lies. That's, that's the, 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 the promise that he's alluding to. The hyssop w- was a shrub. It had lots of little, little branches on it, right? And, and, and the hyssop was specifically used to sprinkle water during purification rites. But, it, but its origins actually point back to something much earlier. Its origins of the hyssop branch point back to the book of Exodus, actually, the story of the exodus of God's people from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt, right? The hyssop branch was what God commanded the people of Israel to dip in the blood of the sacrificial lamb and to paint on their doorpost that their house might be passed over, that they might be saved from the judgment of God and the judgment of death. And so forevermore after that, the hyssop branch was symbolically seen as the symbol of an effective covering and the effective application of something to the person. Hyssop was recognized, sorry, the hyssop branch was effective then in spreading the sacrificial lamb's blood on the doorposts, but then in essence, David is calling on God to remember, God, may my heart receive the application of the blood of the, of the sacrificial lamb, of the Passover lamb. May your judgment of, of death pass over me. May you make me whole. May you cleanse me from within so David is actually asking God to apply to the doorpost of his heart the cleansing and forgiving blood of the Passover lamb and to rescue him from his sin. And this comes about not because of some religious rites or laws, but because of his confession and repentance and dependence on God through faith. Church, when Jesus shows up on the scene, we know the story. We, we, we could fast forward to the end if we want to because we've got the scriptures. Jesus is revealed as the true Passover lamb whose blood was effectively applied to you and I through faith. His blood, his sacrifice on our behalf means that we can have a soul that we are confident has been cleansed and made whole and is no longer broken. So Thomas Aquinas is right. 
And that, that even after the act of sin passes, guilt remains. But Jesus is able to and desires to wash our hearts clean. So that even, even the stench of, vomit, of the vomit of sin isn't even a memory, right? That's the kind of forgiveness he offers us by repentance through faith. Jesus didn't just heal this leper with, with a skin ailment. Jesus arrives on the scene to declare, I can make you whole again. I can cleanse the very core of your being. If only we'll trust him for it, right? Church, spiritually speaking, there are many of us living as lepers outside the presence of God because of the the guilt we have, we carry within. Not just the guilt that we feel, right? If you've never addressed the guilt within, you may not be able to smell it or, or taste it or feel it, but it's there. Trust me, I've scrubbed, I've tried, I've, I've done so many, but you know what? Nothing apart from Jesus and what Jesus has done on our behalf effectively removes the guilt of that sin within. And, and there are many of us, like I mentioned, who are living outside the presence of God because of this. But we have a king. Mark tells us we have a, a king who, who became a sacrificial lamb on our behalf to make us clean even to those deepest recesses of our hearts, those places that you and I can't even touch. So are, are, you, are you tired of trying to be holy? Are you, are you tired of trying to maintain this religious life to, to try to, 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 to keep it going? You're not alone. You'll never be holy until you let Jesus cleanse you and make you whole. That's the truth. That's the reality we need to wrestle with. There's nothing you can do to purify yourself. There's only one thing. You can only be made pure by God, right? Jesus said it clearly to the leper that day. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, he says it to you and I. He says, I will. I desire It's my purpose. Be clean. Church, Jesus is willing to do it. Will you let him? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we... um, Lord, there are fewer and fewer places in this world where we can freely acknowledge and talk about the guilt and the shame and the, uh, the things we carry within that, that weigh us down. And yet, Lord, uh, you sent your son Jesus so that we would have confidence to draw near to your throne of grace. That we might have confidence to come before you, acknowledging our own impurities, our own brokenness, And in doing so, trust you to to make us whole, to cleanse us, to restore us into the presence of God. Lord, that's what the love of Jesus does. Makes us whole. Restores us into the presence of God. Not makes us better people. 
And so, Lord, by faith, we look to you this morning. Purify our hearts. Make us whole. Teach us to not, uh, to not rely upon or depend upon our own actions or, or abilities, but to trust you and you alone to cleanse us within, to give us the confidence that we can draw near to you now because of what Jesus has done in our behalf. And then, Lord, like the leper, send us forth to continue to be people obedient to you, to follow your ways and to trust in you. Lord, I know that Satan wants us to believe things that aren't true that you're disgusted by us, that we should be ashamed and afraid of Jesus because our impurities are detestable to him. Well, Lord, there is truth in that. Our impurities are detestable, but we are not our impurities. You have compassion on this world. You love us. Teach us to to differentiate between your anger towards sin and its effects in this world and your compassion on the people that you've created. May we learn to accept your healing touch and enjoy being then the children of God as a result as we trust in Jesus, as we depend upon him to do what only he can do. And we pray this in his name. Amen.